been going through the holy history. The theme for this series is found in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. It says, these things happened to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. All of these events that took place with Israel in the Old Testament are not just history, they're his story. It's God's interaction and intervention in human history. God's plan to bring the whole earth to himself, to bring all the people of the earth to be a part of his kingdom. So we've been walking through the holy history, which is the history of Israel and God's interaction and intervention in Israel, uh, pretty much this, uh, the majority of this whole year. We've taken a couple of uh, uh, Sundays off and uh, looked at other things. Last Sunday, we looked at a passage from 2 Corinthians, uh, which is what I'm teaching on on Wednesday. But the theme verse for this whole study is in 1 Corinthians, and it's chapter 10, verse 11. And it says, these things happen to them as examples for us and were written down for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So the Old Testament is not just a bunch of old stories. It's not just a bunch of laws and these and thous and uh, begats and all of these sorts of things. There's a purpose there. And the ultimate purpose is to show us that God had prepared from the beginning to bring his son into the world and bring us back to him. So we're walking through that holy history. And two weeks ago, uh, we were in Judges. So I want to do a fast review there. Um, if you have a Bible, you're going to want to uh, be in, um, once we get to the topic for today, you're going to want to be in First Samuel. But right now we're going to take a, an overview of Judges. So first of all, number one, throughout the period of the Judges, the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. Does that sound like any country, any people that you know today? All right. It says in two places in Judges, and these are both summary passages, um, and every man did what was right in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. So they just didn't recognize any authority except themselves, which sounds a whole lot like uh, our nation today. Men refused to worship the Lord alone, turning to false gods instead. So they went into the land, and God wanted them to remove these gods and their, and their idols and their altars, and they didn't do it. They thought, well, hey, it's a new land, and they believed back then their natural belief, not the belief that they got from uh, what God had taught them through Moses, but the, the normal belief back then was you had gods that were in charge of different places and spaces. So if you went to a new country, you had to learn their gods if you wanted to get along. So that's what these people were doing. They came into the, the land of Canaan, and there were these gods who were collectively referred to as Baals, and Baal's just a word that means Lord, um, and there were many different ones, but there were there were two. One was actually often called Baal, just Lord, and he was kind of like a chief god. And then he had a consort, a female, a goddess named Ashtora. And they did all kinds of disgusting things to worship these gods. But above all, it's idolatry. They, they weren't real gods. People worship things other than the Lord by putting those things above God, right? We value things above God, so we do the same thing as them. Number three, men were often afraid in the face of their enemies because they had no faith in Almighty God. And we saw this in the uh, story about Deborah and Barak. So uh, Deborah was a prophetess, and she was essentially judging Israel at the time because men weren't doing their jobs. Uh, ladies, this is not because a woman can't be a judge or can't be a leader or whatever, but God has an order to things. 
But there is no reason why, if the man who is called to do the job doesn't step up and do it, that God will not raise up a woman and have her do it. And that's exactly what Deborah was doing. And so the, the women in this story, uh, in Judges, got the glory because the men were a bunch of cowards. Now, they listened to the Lord, and Barak came in and won the battle and delivered Israel at that point. But he's just one example of the cowardice that you see. Well, God promises to protect his people if they trust him. Now, see, we've, you know, just went went through this period of the pandemic, and I don't know how much that scared you. There were some people that were not being cautious enough, and there were other people that were scared all the time. But the reality is, if you trust in the Lord, what? You can count on him to protect you. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to live down here on earth forever. Eventually, each of us is going to meet our end and meet our maker. That's just the way the design is. But whatever's happening in your life, whatever is threatening you right now, you need to know that you can trust the Lord and he will protect you. And that's what these people needed to know all along. But this is what they kept falling away from because they kept trusting in these other gods. So we trust in other things. We trust in our money. Um, uh, the Lord supplies medicine, but sometimes we we rely on drugs to try to get us to the place where we need to be. And what we need to do is we need to trust the Lord. We need to rely on him. We need to ask him to give us wisdom and direction. We need to take the most natural path that we can possibly take when it concerns our health and our bodies, right? But we don't need to be foolish and presume upon God and not take medicine when we need to take medicine. Neither do we need to be depending upon medication. With Rather, we should depend on the Lord. Now, I'm using that as an example. These people, the situation, of course, were these outside nations that were coming in, Um yeah, God promises to protect his people if they trust him, but he will terrify them before their enemies if they do not. And that's what was happening to these people over and over again. And if you remember, there was a sin cycle in uh, the book of Judges where the people were worshiping other gods, and then the Lord would send an outside invading nation or sometimes uh, a group of people from within would oppress the people. Then the people would cry out to God, then God would send a deliverer, this was called a judge, and the people would be okay with worshiping Yahweh during the, the life of that judge, and then they would fall away and do the same thing over and over again, all right? They would commit idolatry, God would send a nation in, they would cry out, God would send a deliverer in, and then the deliverer would die, and the people would return right back to the beginning, sin cycle over and over again. Um, the Lord did turn them over to their enemies, and it was because they had turned away from him. That's uh, number four in this review. Number five, even the judges were immoral and had little faith in the Lord. Now, I talked about uh, Samuel as one of... Samuel, uh, that's who I'm talking about today. I talked about Samson as one of the, the judges. Samson was an incredibly immoral guy. And I'm not going to get into all the things that he was doing with a bunch of kids here, but this is not the guy that you want to pattern your, you know, uh, your hero worship from your kids after. Um, he went after girl after girl after girl, and that ended up being his undoing. But see, God used that anyway. And then number six, and this is what leads in today, this is at the end of Judges, and we're skipping over Ruth, which is a really, really good story. We may come back and look at that again, but it's a preparation for the uh, the birth of King David, but we're not to the place where the kings are yet. So we come to the end of this period of Judges, which is a period of 400 years, and God chooses and raises up a man by the name of Samuel. And uh, so that's what we're going to look at today, uh, the life of Samuel, and this will be part one of that. Um, so first, when we look at the life of Samuel, Samuel's mother's name was Hannah, and she was infertile. 
that was prior to his birth, of course. She wanted a child badly, and she poured out her heart to the Lord. This is uh, an account of that. This is 1 Samuel um, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. This is the New International Version. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Well, that should ring a bell because when we talked about Samson, Samson was a Nazarite from birth. This is the Nazarite vow. And so Samuel would be a Nazarite from birth as well. So the application here is God answers prayer. Say God answers prayer. Now, I wanted you to say it, but do you believe that? Notice, this woman was desperate. Now, this was back in the day when they, you know, they... they practiced polygamy. They married more than one woman. I don't know how they did that. And um, nonetheless, um, these these two women were rivals for their husband's attention and affection. And it was Hannah, I believe the other wife's name was Penina, I want to say. But she would harass the other wife because Hannah couldn't have a baby. And she wanted a baby, right? She wanted a baby really, really bad. So she cried out to the Lord, and she made a vow to the Lord, right? Um, I want you to see that God answers prayer, and he fulfills the desire of your heart with good things. Amen? Now, sometimes we pray to God for crummy things, but we think they're good things. We pray for junk because we're convinced we desire whatever that junk is, and then God doesn't give give it to us. And we might be suspicious that God is just a big meanie, but God's really trying to preserve you from disaster, right? So what you want, I tell this to people all the time, with God, a no is as good as a yes. You just want God's will. But pour out your heart for what you want because that may be the only way you're going to find out what God wants and what you really want, right? So pour out your heart to the Lord, but just realize if you want something that's wrong or something that's bad, you're going to go through some difficulty, right? And sometimes God will even give you the thing that you cried out for and prayed for and wanted so badly, even though he knows it's going to be something that you're going to hate. And we learn from that process as well. Well, she was asking for a good thing, and the Lord answered her. I like these two verses. This is Psalm 103.5. It says that God satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle, talking about just the energy and the, the freedom of the eagle. And then, of course, you may have memorized this one, Psalm 37, 4, says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will what? Give you the desires of your heart. See, when your delight is in the Lord, then it alters your desires, it moves your desires over to the things that are good, and he promises to fulfill those. That's really some good promises there, right? Uh Next, in, in this, uh, as we move through uh, Samuel's life, the Lord answered Hannah's prayer, and Samuel was born. After he was weaned, Hannah took him to be raised by Eli the priest at the Lord's house. So she, she kept her promise. Um, so I, you know, I guess it's uh, different time frames when, when babies are weaned, but essentially she had vowed that she was going to give him to the Lord, 
And she did exactly that. So she brought him to Eli the priest, and Eli the priest took him in and essentially adopted Samuel, and he was raised, that is, Samuel was raised there the entire time. This is from 1 Samuel one twenty-five through 28 in the New International Version. They brought the boy Eli, and she said, excuse me, they brought, brought the boy, that is Samuel, to Eli, and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So that's where Samuel was. Application there. Keep your promises to God. Amen? I just tell people, don't make promises to God. If you make a promise to God, who has to keep it? And you better keep it. Right? Uh, in Ecclesiastes 5.5, 5, it says, better not to vow than to vow and not keep it. Right? What are the, when we think of vows, what are the most common vows that we make today? Yeah, marriage vows. You're, you're vowing to that other person in the presence of God. Listen, it's better not to vow than to vow and not keep it. Keep your promises to God. Well, she kept her promises to the Lord. And what happened was, she gave that first and best to the Lord, and the Lord gave her other children that she could raise at home. Mothers and fathers, here's another application for you. Realize how important it is for you to dedicate your child to the Lord. We have, um, we don't baptize babies. That's a decision you make. When you, ch- when you choose to allow Jesus to come into your heart, the next thing you need to do is be baptized. It's your decision. You have to make that decision. That's your commitment, right? If I baptize a baby, is the baby making a commitment? No. He can't make a commitment. She can't make a commitment. But we do baby dedications in this church. And we're not alone in that. Many churches do that. And the baby dedication is really more our dedication as a family, as a, as a church, and the parent's dedication to raise that child in the fear and admonition that of Christ, right? We want to say, this is what we want for our children. We want the best for them, and the best for every person is going to be for them to find their way to the Lord and to commit their life to Jesus, all right? Next in Samuel's life, Samuel served as a priest from the time he was young. Here's uh, 1 Samuel 2, 18 and uh, 21. Samuel served in the Lord's presence. This mere boy was dressed in the linen ephod. Each year, his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she saw her husband offer the annual sacrifice. And then we skip to verse 21. The boy grew up in the presence of the Lord. That's awesome, right? Now, we've always tried to make this little room right here, this little building right here, a a, a nice place, a place that kids want to be. And I know parents... It's annoying when your kids won't leave. But it's gratifying to me that they want to be here, right? I know they run around and that can be annoying to you and maybe distracting to others, but I want them to want to be here. I want them to step into worship up here. They don't understand it all initially, 
but let's give them the most enjoyable experience possible. That doesn't mean don't discipline your children. And, you know, I mean, it can get crazy in here. And if they're not paying attention to the Lord, then it's not working the way we want it to work. But I want your kids to want to be here. I want them to love being here. I want them to have good memories when they grow up, not bad memories, right? Um, so uh, I've, an application here that we can make is that God chose Samuel to serve him. Well, this is what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 15, 16. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. You know, we make a big deal out of you making a decision to follow Jesus, about you making a commitment to Christ. But the reality of the reality is, if Jesus had not reached down to you, you would never have found him. You would never have reached up to him. You still do need to make a decision, but I want you to see that without God's choice, your choice just doesn't matter at all, right? Even though Samuel was given to the Lord by his mother, he still had to decide daily to be obedient to the Lord. So you may have dedicated your child to, to, to the Lord in this church. But they have to decide daily to pay attention and to follow Jesus or not, right? So here it is. How many of you were raised in a Christian home? Raise your hand. Okay, not all of us were, but many of you were. Um, you should realize that that's a great blessing. However, sometimes that blessing results in boredom. Yeah, yeah, been there, done that, heard that, got all the t-shirts. And it's just, it's, it wears smooth on your hearing and you don't realize how unbelievably blessed you are to have been raised in that environment. You and I that are raised in Christian homes still must decide, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but so you'll understand, you must decide daily whether, whether to serve the Lord. You've got to decide at some point in time that you want your own commitment to Jesus. You have to hear the call of the Lord to follow him, and you have to make that determination. Parents, that's what we have got to do with, with these kids. We've got to keep bringing them. We've got to keep teaching them. We've got to keep loving them, but eventually they have to make up their own mind, and then they have to choose to continue following the Lord or to be distracted by the world, which causes some problems at certain points in our lives. Parents, it's, it is imperative for you to bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Raise your hand in this room if you're a parent of a child or teenager, right? It's imperative that you do that. That's Ephesians 6, 4. In fact, interestingly, Ephesians 6, 4 is addressed to fathers. It says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, right? Don't frustrate them, but raise them up in the old translation says fear and admonition of the Lord, but uh, it says, I believe this is, I don't know which translation this is, um, the training and instruction of the Lord. That may be an IV. And then uh, a very important verse that is often quoted from Proverbs 22, this is verse six, is train up a child in the way he should go. And what? And when he is old, he will not turn from it. I've heard people make the comment that sometimes for a while when they're young, they act foolish and turn from it. But the reality is once you teach them the direction that they need to go, you make a deep impression on them. And while they may run around and, and have some challenges when they're younger, they come back to that teaching. It's very important that we don't just let our kids 
do whatever. Don't let the culture raise your kids. Don't. If you're just letting them sit in front of a a, a box or a device and watch endless videos or cartoons or video games, sure, it's, listen, as a parent, what you do is unbelievably challenging. And that device is like a pacifier. They stay calm while they're on the device. But the reality is their brain is being literally wired by that. They're on TikTok watching endless videos from people their age. There's some horrific content there. If they're on YouTube, even, I'm on YouTube all the time. But see, I'm an adult, I have a Christian commitment, and I don't navigate towards junk. But even children's programming is not healthy these days. There's all sorts of things. Disney has become a purveyor of some very, very bad ideas. They are seeking to shape the the thinking of children today. And so you're living in a very, very challenging time to raise kids. You really, really are. I, I don't envy you, but I want to encourage you, and I want to challenge you to be strong and to raise your children in the fear and admonition of Christ. Now, they're going to get to a point where however much you've shielded them, they're going to be exposed to content and, and ideas. And my advice is, you know your child. I believe the Lord has given you a a unique gift to raise those children. You know where their hearts are. You know where their minds are. And you know when they're ready to have these ideas introduced to them, sitting next to you and having conversations with you about what they just saw and what is being taught or promoted or validated, right? And you have these conversations with them. If you hold off on introducing anything that you think is controversial to your child until they turn 18, you may not get the result that you thought you were going to get, right? Yes, protect your children, but teach your child the truth, and that will teach them to protect themselves. So I've got these kids in karate, right? Um, I've been doing this for years, and I will tell you, I, I, I would not even... Right now, my body just doesn't want to cooperate with me when I do karate. But I continue to do it because I want to teach these kids something that I think is very valuable. But I also want to teach them to defend themselves. It's a dangerous world. I want to teach them how to block. I want to teach them how to punch. I want to teach them how to kick. I want to teach them how to get out of situations. I want to teach them how not to be bullied. I want to teach them how to overcome bullying, right? So I talk to them about situations that maybe they haven't even gotten into yet. You know, has a kid made fun of you? Has a kid pushed you? Has a kid tried to fight you? All these. And some of these kids, man, they're blessed. None of that has happened to them. But I'm going to teach them how to deal with those situations so that when it happens, not if, but when it happens, they know how to handle themselves. Well, I'm using that as an illustration. This is what we need to teach them in their minds, right? Um, Next. Eli's natural sons, remember Eli is the priest who was taking care of little Samuel. Samuel had been brought into Eli's home. And Eli was very old by this point, by the way. So he was, he was an old guy raising a young, young kid. But his natural sons, whose names were Hophni and Phinehas, were corrupt because he had failed to discipline them. And I didn't, 
I'm not putting all the stuff that they were doing here because we've got the kids down here, but these were not good guys. First um, Samuel 2.12 says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. <laughs> That's how the NIV has it. They were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Listen, if you have no regard for God, you're going to be a scoundrel one way or the other, okay? And then skip to, that's uh, 1 Samuel 2.12, and then skip to verse 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Well, I can tell you one thing they were doing, because this shouldn't be offensive to a kid. Um, The priests got their food from the offering. So they would bring an animal in for a sacrifice, and it was supposed to be cooked a certain way, and the priest only got certain parts of it. But these guys were total gluttons, and they were just grabbing and gobbling, sticking a fork into the, into the, 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 the boiling water where the, the meat was being cooked. No, the, the priest wanted raw. We want it like this. They were just disgusting flesh pots is what they were, okay? They were doing other things as well. Now, Eli was old, and he heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel, and they were doing certain things with the women who were coming to the sacrifices, and we won't get into that, but adults in this room will have an idea what this is referring to. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. Listen, if you just tell your kid, you know that's wrong, don't you, honey? I've heard that you're doing bad stuff. Why are you doing that? That's not discipline. He should have yanked them out of their responsibility and said, you can't be a priest anymore. You can't be around these women anymore. You can't, if you're going to get your food from this because you don't have another job, I will get it for you. You're not going to have any interaction. But he didn't do that. He just looked the other way and let them go on doing what they were doing. Application for this, have you been raised as a Christian? You said that earlier. Okay, somebody raise your hand. Are you more like Samuel? Or are you more like Eli's sons? Do you come here and worship and respect the Lord? Or do you treat this worship service with contempt? Right? It's something for us to consider. As a parent, do you discipline your children? Or are you permissive like Eli, failing to and really failing your children in that respect? Even in the scripture, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that the Lord disciplines all those whom he receives. And if he doesn't discipline you, then you are not a legitimate child of his. So if you've gone through some tough times, but you've learned from those tough times and they've drawn you closer to the Lord, you can think of that as discipline from the Lord, and it's a good thing. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but in the end it leads to the peaceful fruits of righteousness. So your kid may not like it when you discipline them. And again, I don't think you need to discipline kids at every age the same way, right? I don't know what your, uh, what your take on spanking is or those sorts of things, but I will just tell you spanking doesn't work once they get older. Terror from their father does. I was older. I think I must have been about 14 years old, and I had a mouth on me. Can you imagine that? I, I don't mean a mouth in a, like cussing. I, I, would, I would never 
have said an obscene word or a profane word to my mom or my stepdad or my dad. I wouldn't have done it. Even before I was a Christian, would never have done that. But I had a way of talking back. That's what my mom used to call it, talking back. Kids, have you ever heard that? Don't talk back? Yeah. Don't talk back to me. And my mom would say something and it would just be like, what? And I wanted to argue the point. And I don't know what I said. But my stepdad was a big old dude. And by the way, that's how I started in karate. He took me to karate. He didn't need it. He'd been a fighter his whole life, right? But I was getting bullied by one particular young person when I was in eighth grade. Uh, when I was 13 and 14, those are the worst two years of my life. And uh, he started taking me to karate. And uh, so that's to his credit. But I'm going to tell you, I don't know what I said to my mom, but the next thing I knew, I was laying on the floor about 10 feet away. He just backhanded me right across my jaw. Pop! And I went, bam! And he was standing over me like this, and I thought, don't say anything, Daryl. Don't say a word. <laughs> Terror from the father. But my mom always told me, she said, I will spank you until you're in your 20s. I don't care. Well, same age. I'm 14 years old. Like I said, I must have had a mouth on me. And my mom used to like to spank me with the belt. Oh, yeah, man, I'd get some welts on my legs from that bad boy. And my mom is hitting me with this belt, and I'm 14 years old, and I'm about as tall as her, and I was laughing. It just didn't hurt. And so finally she started laughing. And we both just slid down the wall in the hallway and just laughed, and she didn't spank me anymore. Now you know why my dad needed to be there to backhand me across the room, right? What I'm trying to get at is the same discipline doesn't work the same way their whole lives. You've got to figure out what this kid is made of and what you need to do, right? Um, I won't go into all of the, the possibilities there, but I used to run a foster care group home. We figured out how to help these young boys, these were boys between 15 and 18, to make the right decisions, but it involves, a, to a great deal, um, taking or giving freedom to them. I will just give you that hint. Socialization is essential for um, teenagers, right? Next in uh, Samuel's life, the Lord determined to curse the men of Eli's family and to remove them from serving as priests. And you'll see how this is preparation for Samuel to come in as a leader. 1 Samuel 2, 30 through 32 and 34 from the NIV. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that members of your family, I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But see, that promise was conditioned on them being obedient. But now, the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained or disgraced. Say, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disgraced. This is what the Lord does. The Lord's character has not changed. Our covenant with him is different. And we have grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. But understand, you can't go on disrespecting God and get away with it. There are consequences to that. And you can say, well, I don't even believe in God anymore. It doesn't matter. He believes in you. 
and he loves you enough to discipline you even when you say you don't believe in him, right? So the application is God is real. There are earthly and eternal consequences for your choices. That's why I used to do House of Judgment forever and ever and ever. Uh, uh, me and the, the, the young adult actors over here, by the way, these guys are really talented. Um, we read through House of Judgment uh, 2005, though, do you remember uh, Zombie Nation? You remember that one? Yeah, we, we read through that one. And man, that was some good writing. I, I don't know who wrote that, but whoever wrote that did a good job. Didn't he do a good job? Yeah, okay. Anyway, but the reason that I used to do House of Judgment was because it was a way of demonstrating that there are consequences for the decisions that you make, both in this life and in the next and it was called House of Judgment because everybody would stand before Jesus. And the people that had put their faith in Jesus would be drawn into his presence. And the people that did not would be pushed away from his presence. And we call that ultimately hell, right? Um, if you follow our foolish, godless, anti-Christian culture, then you're not going to have a good life ultimately. And you're not going to have eternal life after this one. You reap what you sow. Say that for me, will you? What does that mean? What does reap mean? Pick. So I used to say this uh, when I used to substitute teach, and I used to say this. You pick what you plant. I told those kids all the time, every single class virtually that I ever substitute taught for, I would write the word respect on the board in giant letters. And half the time the kids would come in there singing, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. And I would tell them, you reap what you sow. You pick what you plant. I'm going to sow respect in you. And I'm going to expect to get that back from you. I want to receive the respect that I'm giving you. And I would tell them, I'm giving this to you because I believe you're made in the image of God. And you don't need to even believe in God to benefit from my belief. But I, will tell, I would tell them, and I will tell you, respect is reciprocal. And that means you reap what you sow. Well, this is in every area of our life. Um, this is Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So does a woman. The one who sows to please his or her sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Next in Samuel's life, the Lord promised that he would raise up another Levitical family to replace that of Eli. He said, uh, this is 1 Samuel 2.35, I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. Well, that faithful priest was already there, and that was Samuel. But further, he says, I will firmly establish his priestly house, and they will minister before me my... Uh, before my anointed one always. The application, God doesn't need anyone. Does God need you? Does God need me? No. We're, we, we confuse need with love sometimes, okay? When you need something or you need someone, then you're responding selfishly, right? The purest love I can have is if I don't need anything from you. I don't need your attention, I don't need your affection, I don't need your money, but I choose to act in your best interest. 
that might not seem like a very warm sort of heartfelt love, but it actually is love. It's love in its most distilled form, where I'm doing what's best for you, regardless of how I feel about you. I think we're in an era now where it's easy to get mad at people for just about everything. I have a very close family member that wrote me a horrible email yesterday, and this person told me that they don't want to have any more contact with me, and that if I ever show up at their house, they're going to call the police. Why? Because I have been very open about the fact that we need to be loving and kind to everyone, regardless of their race or regardless of their official legal status in the United States of America. And this person is very, very angry with me. And it would be easy to just say, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with this person anymore. They don't want to have anything to do with me. But I'm going to continue to reach out as often and as much as I can reach out to this person and show love and courtesy and kindness, even if we can't agree, even if she has said that our church is too multicultural. Our church is not multicultural enough. You do realize that, right? But we've got to love people regardless of the political climate, right? Regardless of whether they agree with us in certain uh, peripheral areas, at least peripheral as concerns the, the gospel in any event. God chose Samuel as both prophet and priest. You want to hear something interesting? I might have gone too far already, and I'll, I'll wrap this up really quick. What was the, the tribe in Israel that was supposed to uh, be priests, and nobody else was allowed to be a priest. What tribe? Levi. Oh, he's gone. No, there, there he is. It was Isaiah that was sitting there. Never mind. They're brothers. That's confusing to me. I'm old. All right. Would it surprise you to know that Samuel was not a, was not from the tribe of Levi? He was from the tribe of Ephraim. Ephraim, they were the warriors. And God chose prophets from every tribe, but only the Levites were permitted and only the Aaronic priests were permitted to offer the sacrifices. And guess who was doing that? Samuel. Well, to get around the legal angle on it, whose adopted son was Samuel? Eli. What tribe was Eli from? the tribe of Levi. But what I want you to see here is God can use whoever he wants to use. Amen? It doesn't matter what your, your supposed qualifications or capabilities are, right? God doesn't choose the qualified. He qualifies the called. Amen? So all you need to know is, what is God calling me to do? This is 1 Samuel 3. Um, even before... Samuel knew the Lord. When he was little, when he was little like Shiloh's age, okay? Um, when he was little like Harper's age, he didn't know the Lord yet. And the Lord started speaking to him. Listen to this from 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And then two times the Lord spoke to him while he was laying down in the temple. And each time he ran to Eli and said, you called me? And Eli said, go lay down. I didn't call you. 
Then it happened again. And he ran to Eli and he said, you called me? This is such a good kid. And Eli's just like, he's an old man and he has no sensitivity to the Lord whatsoever. And just go lay down. I didn't call you. And the third time Samuel ran to him and now Eli uh, gets it. And this is where we're at there. A third time the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord revealed a message to him. Here's the application. The Lord does still speak today through the Bible as it reveals Jesus and as the Holy Spirit brings it alive. Hebrews 1-2 says, But in these last days he, that is God, has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. And then Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Why do you think I read so much scripture in here? I want you to hear the word of the Lord, but it can't be just Pastor Daryl reading. It can't even just be you reading or listening to someone else. It has to be you paying attention to the Holy Spirit quickening, making that word alive in you and applying it to you. Now, I'm giving you application here, but I hope as we're walking through this holy history, you're hearing about these characters, you're laying your life down alongside them and saying, what is God saying to me? You're sitting in this room or you're watching online or you're listening via the podcast for a reason. God has a purpose and God has a message for you if you're paying attention. Well, the Lord raised up Samuel to replace Eli and his wicked sons. And we find that in 1 Samuel 3, 11 and 12. The application is, if you've heard and chosen to respond to God's call, then the Lord is raising you up for a purpose. Say, God is raising me up. God has a purpose for you at every season of your life. God's raising up these little people right here. They don't even know it yet. God's raising up these teenagers. They may not even be paying attention. And you say, well, I'm retired, or I'm fixing to retire, or, you know, I, I, I got too many things going on. God is in the process of calling you out and raising you up for his purpose at this season in your life. Well, there is a, there are a couple of purposes that are there for all of us. Number one is he's called you out to be like his son, Jesus. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God is trying to make you like Jesus. This is why we're constantly talking about Jesus in here. This is why Pastor Craig is in Luke now and who was in Matthew before that. I I'm, I'm feel confident in going through the Old Testament like this because I know the New Testament is being taught. Craig's teaching it in here on Sunday morning. I'm teaching out of Corinthians uh, now then, the second Corinthian letter on Wednesday, we're providing opportunities for you to understand the gospel and to understand what it means to follow Jesus. So 
Um, those of us who have responded to the call of God to come out of the world must follow Jesus. That's all there is to it. There's not another path or pattern. And then secondly, you have a purpose from God, as I said, at, in every season of your life. Minister to the Lord by ministering to others in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, Jesus said, in that you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Okay, kids, I've been talking a lot. Say, if, you're, if you can hear me right now and you're a kid, say, I'm a kid. I'm a kid. And I can hear you. Here's a story for you. There's actually two of them. You, did you guys know there was a hurricane that just ripped through Florida? Like lots of flooding, lots of buildings got wrecked. Some people died too, very sad. And then the hurricane went out into the Atlantic and then it came back into South Carolina and it caused some more flooding and problems. Two stories that I read about two young uh, children, okay? Now, these were both boys, but it could have easily been a girl. There was one boy who saw this hotel that he and his family used to go to and have vacations at, and it was just all torn up. And it made him really, really sad. And so he told his mom and dad, I want to give my allowance to help rebuild that hotel. Now, those of us that know economics know that the hotel probably doesn't need his allowance, but... The beauty of that story is that this kid was like, man, that was such a, a wonderful place for me and my family to go to, and look at how it looks now. I want it to be rebuilt. I want to help them. That kid's only like eight or nine years old. And then I read one this morning, another little boy, and he saw all of the hurt that was going on in these people's lives, and he had saved up a bunch of money. And now, I remember his age because I just read this this morning. He was seven, Right? And he said, yeah, he said, I, I was saving it up so I could get a Corvette or a scooter. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I was going to save it up so I could get a $100,000 car or, you know, a $500 thing. You know, you don't know economics. But the kid had saved, he's seven. And he'd saved $200 in his piggy bank. And he told his mom he wanted to give it to the people who were hurting because of the hurricane. Well, his mom put it online so his dad could watch it. And millions of people have now seen it. Kid, you can minister to other people too. It's not just for adults. It's not just for someday. Now, I'm not telling you to give your allowance away to do this or that. I I'm trying to help you to understand the Lord wants to use you and he can use, in both of these cases, these children gave their allowance away, but now we all know about it, and it's inspiring, and it's convicting, right? So, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing, Jesus said. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus wants to use you to be his hands and his feet and his mouth down here on earth right now. Guys, we need more Samuels in the world today, don't we? So if you can hear the call today, respond. Follow Jesus and say, you know what? I want to be like Samuel, not like Eli's worthless sons that didn't believe in God and wouldn't pay any attention to him. In fact, who abused church.